Okay, good afternoon, everybody, and uh, welcome once again to the Downtown Den, where I'm delighted to be joined today by the top cop from Merseyside, our Chief Constable, uh, Andy Cook. Andy, thanks for joining us today. Welcome to the Downtown Den. Pleasure, Frank. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it, it's great to see you, and obviously a very, very busy time for you. I'm sure it's always busy, but there's particular challenges that you'll be facing at the moment, and we'll come on to that a bit later on. But where I wanted to start, Andy, was with your career, really, uh, because it'd be nice to know, I think, from those who are watching, uh, what first motivated you to join the police and then what that journey's been like. Yeah, I mean, why did I join the police? I mean, since I was about five or six years old, I wanted to be a police officer. It's one of those vocational things for me. Um, my only considerations as I got a bit older was, was whether to go into the army or go into policing. Uh, and I stuck with policing. Um, joined as a 21 year old in 1985, uh, following doing a politics degree at Nottingham University, one of the few police officers to have degrees in those days. Yeah. Uh, every police officer needs one now, apparently. Um, and from the day I started, I've never had a single day when I wish I did something else. Um, mm. I started off my career in Farmware Street up in Kensington. Spent three or four years walking the beat around Queen's Road and Breck Road, uh, which was a tough old beat um, in those days and now. Uh, and then within, just after that four years, I became a detective. Always wanted to be a detective since watching the Sweeney, going back many years ago. Some people may remember that, some won't. Uh, and I've been a detective all my career. I'm the, probably the most senior detective in the country. Um, and I... Basically, I spent 10 years as a, as a DC, as a constable in DC, which is rare for the chief officer, but I enjoyed it so much, didn't consider promotion at the time. Mm. Uh, and then following on that, I got rapid promotions through a number of ranks uh, as a DS, as a DI in the major crime unit in covert operations, which was uh, probably the high point in my career, dealing with some of the real top criminals, both uh, locally and nationally during that time, uh, the names of which I'm sure you all know if I was to say them. Um, I've, I've been an SAO on homicide uh, for a period of time. I was the first commander of Matrix. I basically uh, created Matrix. You still see the Matrix bands now. That's always been a uniform, proactive uniform unit and covert and reactive detectives involved in doing the search and organized crime, which is one of the big challenges for our county. Um, from there, I got promoted to assistant chief constable uh, in Lancashire. Uh, at that stage, to, in order to be a chief, you couldn't just serve in one force, you had to serve in two forces. So I went out to Lancashire for four years, uh, enjoyed my four-year holiday out there, and then came back to do a bit of real work back in Merseyside uh, <laughs> as the deputy and, and now the chief. I've just got four years as chief here, still really enjoying it. Yeah, a uh, fascinating journey, Andy. Interesting that you've basically policed where you grew up. You know, you're a scouser, you've policed the city. Uh, do you think that's a, 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 an advantage uh, for the police officer to be from the locality that they're actually policing? Uh, it, 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 it used to be very, very rare. Um, as you know, the previous Chief John was also from Liverpool, also mm. a scouser. Uh, for me, it's the pinnacle of my career. I mean, who'd want to be a chief anywhere other than where they were brought up? It might sound corny, but I love this city, I love this region. It's got so much to offer. It's changed so much over the last 30 years. 
from the dark, dank place it was in the 80s and 70s to a vibrant economy now. And hopefully the problems that we've got approaching us now aren't going to put too much of a dent in that. Um, but it's always been great. I mean, I've got a, a large extended family right across Merseyside. Um, there's no other place I'd rather be chief of. I've, I've turned down promotions in, in the Metropolitan Police previously. This has always been my, my career aspiration, and I'm really, really lucky to, to have managed to achieve it. Mm. Now, now, over that 30-year span uh, of a career, Andy, you must have seen many changes, both socially uh, and also in terms of the profession itself. You've just evidenced the fact that Liverpool as a city has dramatically changed. You know, we've been regenerated. There's been a renaissance, really, hasn't there, of the city in terms of our economy and the vibrancy. And, of course, um, that will mean that there's some less challenges in some parts uh, of the work that you were doing in the, in the 80s, let's say. Um, but then, obviously, there's far more of a buzz, far more activity in the city centre these days. So it balances itself out, I suppose. Uh, but the other thing that, of course, has been massively introduced over the last few years is technology and how we utilise that to police better. Um, but then again, on the other side of the coin, Andy, how criminals uh, actually utilise that to their advantage as well. Talk us through what, what some of those changes and challenges have looked like over the past three decades then. I mean, going back to the 80s, I mean, when I started in policing, uh, no mobile phones, or very few mobile phones around. We had a, a pager when I was a detective, but as a uniform officer, uh, technology wasn't the massive issue that it is now or the massive benefit that it is now at times. Uh, pl policing was very local. Criminality was very local. The criminality that you deal with in the 80s and, and that got most of the 90s, you knew it was going to come from a reasonably local approach and, and the actual cross-border traveling and the, the influence of criminals from different parts of the world impacting on our local communities now was, was, was a pipe dream away, I suppose. Um, it's changed remarkably. We've seen recently, last couple of weeks, you've seen the arrests that were made across Merseyside and across the country in relation to Encroach Chat and us actually infiltrating uh, what some of our key criminals were using to communicate. Uh, that now, the, the, the influence of, of both covertly used equipment, both by criminality and by policing, uh, and the intelligence agencies, uh, the proliferation of social media has changed the way policing is, 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 is dealt with now. Some for the better, some for the worse. Uh, who'd have thought years ago that we'd be investigating people in the Philippines or, mm. or Nigeria um, for live streaming offences into, into our homes? Uh, a lot of the criminality now is indoors, whereas it used to be all outdoors. Mm. The difficulty for policing is that we're dealing with the traditional, your burglaries, your robberies and everything else that's going on, as well as having to deal with the, the technological explosion, with your cybercrime, with your child sexual exploitation and things that genuinely happen both behind doors and from a long distance away. So it certainly is a real challenge for policing on, on two fronts. One, actually having police officers who are technically capable of dealing with that. Mm. And that means a change in your workforce and who you look for to employ in your workforce. We do a lot of work with universities. We bring interns in every year to give a different perspective on how to deal with some of the issues we're dealing with. And that's been a, a great benefit to us. Uh, also, using social media as a communication tool has changed. 
as I say, some for the better, some for the worse. For the better, we can get our messages out much quicker. Uh, people are better informed about what policing are doing, what the dangers are around policing. On the downside of that, police officers are under 24 seven uh, surveillance uh, because every time we go to certain areas of the city, you can see it's three o'clock in the morning, you can see 20 uh, phone lights coming on to record what's going on. Mm. So that makes it really difficult for the staff to police in that bubble. Because as we all know, you can cut a video down to 20 seconds and make someone look bad. When you see the actual totality of what's being recorded, it's a different matter. So certainly policing now is, is the way I put it, is policing 30 years ago used to be a lot more fun but it's a hell of a lot more professional now and the new police officers we've got coming through do a fantastic job of keeping people safe but we are the media and at times the politicians football uh, and that can have a that can have a real debilitating effect on the staff uh, and if i can just turn to the politics uh, of what police have to deal with and the area of concern for me in recent years i'm sure for you too andy has been uh, the austerity program that was adopted back in 2010 now and of course all public services uh, have gone through the mill in terms of facing those cuts um, but police forces have uh, borne a significant brunt of that uh, and I don't think it's uh, any coincidence that we've then seen uh, explosions of crime in particular pockets uh, because there have been this trajectory consistent trajectory uh, where crime was coming down, uh, and of course that's changed. Must have an impact uh, on how you manage your teams, but also on morale of staff. I'd have thought, Andy. It does. It, it, I mean, the reality of it is, in 2010 there were 4,700 police officers on Merseyside. Last year I was down to 3,300. Wow. So that's 1,400 less police officers than we had. Uh, and I now find myself being totally non-political, thanking the same party who nearly destroyed policing 10 years ago because they're putting money back into policing. <laughs> um, we won't get anywhere near back as many as we've lost. Uh, I think at the most we'll get about 600. Uh, but it was a really, it has been a really tough 10 years. Um, all my career as a chief officer, I've been dealing with cuts. I've been dealing with how to, how to eke out more. It's not like we can shut something down. We can't stop doing things with the police. So it's not like a, a branch of Tesco's, it's non-viable, non-profitable. I can't say, well, cut that. So 80% of my, uh, my budget is people. So if you want to lose money off that budget, it's people who are going to go, quite simply. So we lost an awful lot of police officers over that time. Police officers have been uh, working um, far too hard, and that's had an impact on mental health issues across the police service. That's had an impact upon the morale across the police service here. We've done really well, uh, and I don't say that as a boastful thing, but Merseyside is a very, very particular place. And Her Majesty's Inspectorate ranked Merseyside Police as the best metropolitan force in the country. We've sat in the top four forces in the country for, for overall achievement and overall effectiveness, economy, uh, and the way we fight crime uh, for the last four years. When you compare us to forces like Durham and Devon and Cornwall, that's a real achievement. That isn't down to me, that's down to the staff that we've got who really do work together as one team to make sure the people of Merseyside are kept as safe as possible day in, day out. They don't always get thanked for it, but if, if, if people could see a microcosm from what I see every day for some of the work that goes on across this county, they would be mightily proud of what the police service are doing for them. But it has been difficult. To take out 
uh, nearly over a quarter of your police officers um, and still deal with what's been going on before, but these technological advances with other types of crime, with a real push around vulnerability, it has tested us to the limits. Now we're starting to get new police officers back in and recruiting 500 over the next uh, 12 months. Uh, that will make a big difference, but not for two years, because mm. those officers have got to be trained. Yeah. So it'll be 2022 before we see some real benefits around that. It'll still be challenging. Crime will still be changing. But the police officers and police staff from Merseyside Police have continuously over that time risen to that challenge. Uh, and I'm exceptionally proud of what they've done. Mm. Uh, and rightly so, Andy. Of course, you've referenced the fact that it's seen as uh, the best performing uh, police force but of course uh, reputationally Liverpool seen as a bit of a rough house rough city uh, and we've had to uh, fight against that reputation for many years it surprises people when I go and talk in Manchester Birmingham Leeds I often use the the stat that we're the safest city in the country have been for a while now uh, and again that must make you uh, immensely proud but equally uh, what are the sort of tactics that you've used, do you think, uh, that have enabled us to, to get to that pinnacle? I think it's a, it's a real mix of right across the board, Frank. I mean, I am tied to neighbourhood policing. Uh, we put a lot more officers into neighbourhood policing than the vast majority of other forces. Not for them to go around and, and, and pat babies' heads and, and smile at people. I mean, that's important in some parts of, of, of the county. Uh, but neighbourhood officers who actually put doors in, neighbourhood officers who actually tackle crime, and neighbourhood officers who gain that support from the community, working alongside what are very effective PCSOs as well. Mm. Um, and that's important to have that neighbourhood base for confidence, uh, to make sure that people will speak to us. Um, intrinsically, through, through all my service, I've always been very closely tied into it. But alongside that, you've got to have the harder edge. Uh, we are graded as outstanding. We're only three fourths in the country graded as outstanding and do a certain organised crime. Because Merseyside is a hotbed of certain organised crime. We export criminality right across the world. We have direct links into South America, East Africa, uh, most parts of Europe. And it comes as no surprise to people that that, that is the case. You know, it's all linked into us being a port, very similar to Marseille and, and similar places where because of that port and that mix, those, those, those connections get made. So Merseyside is renowned, has been a difficult area to police. Uh, add to that the deprivation, add to that poverty levels, uh, right throughout, um, it is a tough area to police. And you know, the best policing plan for Merseyside is to reduce poverty and increase opportunity. Mm. Uh, and that's what I, I'm always quick to say when I speak in local authority circles and national circles, the lack of opportunity across Merseyside is certainly makes it harder to police throughout because we can all look across certain parts of our county at really difficult places to police. It's no surprise those places are nearest to higher highest poverty. There's no opportunity for individuals. So some of your certain organized criminals become the role models. Mm. And you have to see the echo, and the echo puts an article on the front page which features Curtis Warren or some other uh, top criminal circulation goes up because of general yeah. interest from people. Interest yeah. is fine, making role models of them because they've got a fancy car and a nice house. Yeah. It's been one of the real inhibitors for us in making inroads in certain organized crime. 
Mm. It was one of the points I was going to touch on, actually, Andy, in terms of that success that you've achieved. I wonder how much of an impact you think media coverage of Merseyside has in terms of us not quite being able to overcome that reputational damage that has obviously happened through a long period of time, not just in terms of uh, the Liverpool Echo, and I've had these conversations with Ali McRae, I'm sure you have as well, and he'll tell you, you've just made the point yourself, you know, there's particular names that you put on the front page of a paper, particular incidents, and you know, you're going to sell out the the Echo, and, and you know, they've got a job to do, but it doesn't help you, uh, and again, you know, this may be me being a chippy scouser, I'm not often, I have to say, I like to think of myself as being very subjective when I come to looking at media coverage of our city. Um, but I do think that often, you know, cases that perhaps wouldn't get the sort of highlight focus uh, elsewhere appear to have this explosion of interest in Liverpool for some reason. Is that unfair of me or do you get the same impression? I think because it is Liverpool, it does tend to attract the attention. And we can go back to the, the 70s and 80s, because the problems we had in the city then, yeah. unemployment, the, the, the deprivation we had, which was even more severe than now. Some self-inflicted by some of our comedians who've made a living out of, out of taking the mickey out of Liverpool. Which, and then those sorts of stereotypes remain. I mean, in Manchester, it's the pin dippers. Yeah. You know, in, 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 if you go down south, everyone thinks that every, every second person is a thief in Liverpool. Uh, I take great delight in telling my chief constable colleagues in Manchester, London, Birmingham, Leeds, that we have less car crime, less burglary, less robberies than they do. Um, and when they ask, and I encourage them to come and visit the city. So if they have conferences or we have meetings, I bring them up here. Without fail, they all want to come back for the next meeting, the next conference, because it's such a great city to visit. Uh, but they've never had that perception. And nationally, the media don't give that perception. Locally, I think Ali McRae does a great job. Difficult situation, journalism at the moment. As we know, there's probably cuts going to be made to, yes. to reach PLC, cover the Echo and others. Mm. Um, and they've got to sell papers. Mm. To be fair, very fair to Ali, and Ali is a very fair man. Uh, if I've got a real issue about something, I'll phone him. I don't do it often, but I'll phone him. Uh, and he will listen, and he will change things. Uh, and that's all I can ask in relation to uh, our local paper. Um, and to be fair as well, some outstanding journalists on that paper, the likes of Joe Thomas, who reports on crime, is outstanding, very fair. And that's all I ask for. Yeah. I don't mind papers and media uh, identifying the shortcomings in policing, whether it's here or nationally, as long as they're fair in relation to the way we do it. Uh, and I think overall the Echo are fair, but they've got a job to do. Mm. And in terms of that media relationship and being able to utilise it in a positive way, uh, prior to lockdown, it seems a long time ago now, Andy, uh, we were all obsessed with, with Brexit, of course. But in terms of policing, um, we were very much focused on knife crime because we'd seen uh, a, 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 an explosion is the only word I can use you know I've, I've never known uh, as many times when i've woken up of a morning and i've heard somebody else has been stamped and not just in our city that was going on uh, across all the core cities uh, of the uk uh, and you taking a particularly positive approach to trying to tackle that tell us a bit about that initiative andy yeah i mean we've always been proactive here and proactivity uh 
we lost the proactivity we had with the reduction in police officers. We became a very reactive force because just not enough staff to, to be proactive. That proactivity is really important. I mean, the visible proactive policing uh, that you see on your streets. We, we, we do more stop searches than anywhere outside London. Uh, that is not an accident. That is a, a deliberate approach to keep criminals on the back foot, to let the public see we're very visible in tackling some of these organised crime gangs and other individuals who cause misery in our communities. Uh, and I don't back away from that. It gets a bad press, stop search. Um, I am as aware as anybody else about the, the, some of the issues that it, that it promotes and some of the, the allegations that it is... It is uh, targeted against particularly young black men. Uh, in a Merseyside, certainly not the case. I, but in order to make sure that was the case, I invited the Black Police Association nationally, Liberty, the, the human rights group, and uh, Stopwatch, who are the national group who, who complain about stop search to come up uh, and review the way we did it. We spent three days with us and they left saying it was best practice, that they couldn't find any inequality in our approach. Um, and that we wish every force did it the same way. Again, that's not a boast, but we're very clear on what we want to do. We do an awful lot of it, but we do it in the right way. We'll get it wrong. Everyone gets things wrong occasionally. But the application of that proactive type of policing visible on our streets is a reassurance to our good members of the community. And it deters others from carrying knives, from carrying guns, from, from dealing drugs on our streets and just makes some of our criminals think again. Uh, so I think it's a really successful way of policing. I think it's one of the reasons why we continue to be the best metropolitan force in the country. Uh, and despite the political um, comment around stop search at the moment, we will continue to do it in the way we've always done it. In terms of penalties around knife crime, I mean, we could go on all day as to whether, you know, the crime matches the punishment on so many uh, issues now um, but I can't remember what the particular thing was there was something recently where you know there's quite a quick move from government to introduce harsh penalties on, on something forgive me I forget the issue um, it often frustrates me um, because you know I'll, I'll look at criminals being found guilty or violent people being found guilty of crimes that I find absolutely abhorrent I'm sure you and your colleagues do as well and people are walking out of prison within a couple of years and with good behaviour it can be even less. Now again we, we could get into a debate all day about the rights and wrongs of whether people should be incarcerated and so on and so forth. Does that play on the minds of, of police officers at all or is it just something that you've come to accept now you know the justice system is what it is and we'll just crack on with things. Sentencing guidelines are, are as they are, so we, we need to work within those. It's why you'll, you, you very rarely see a, a, a chief criticising the courts because the judges work within the guidelines they've got. The, the judiciary, in all honesty, are very, very supportive uh, in, this, in this county, and we get a lot of good support from them. Uh, but it can be a frustration. I mean, people who assault police officers or other emergency workers, very rarely that they get in. Uh, custodial sentences. So the deterrent for that uh, just isn't there. The government are raising the, the, the maximum penalty for it, which is a good thing, but we've seen a massive rise in assaults in police officers, particularly over the last 12-18 uh, months and more particularly during COVID. Um, 
that does obviously jar with my colleagues um, because it's not nice to, to be punched, spat on, whatever it is, and then see someone walking away with a with a, a non-custodial sentence. So my view is any assault on a police officer should receive a custodial sentence. Simple as that. My view is that anyone who was caught carrying a knife more than once in a public place should immediate custodial sentence. Mm. Um, I doubt we're going to see that in its entirety. A lot of that is down to sentencing guidelines, but I do think we need to uh, make very clear our opposition to it because my staff aren't punch bags. They've got families like everyone else. They're doing the best to keep people safe. They've done a great job in doing that over many, many years. Uh, and they should have that support, not that that um, sledging that you find from, from numerous places, whether that's social media, whether it's some politicians, or whether it's the media itself. I was going to ask you about this a bit later on, Andy, but you brought me around to the subject earlier. This respect issue uh, of our public services, our public servants, our police in particular, as far as this conversation is concerned, seems to me, I was saying this to you offline, that 30 years or so ago, listen, we know there's always been incidents where police have been attacked and been embroiled in situations that have been dangerous and they put themselves in harm's way. My impression, Andy, and you will tell me whether this is right or wrong, is that the respect that police forces used to have um, 20, 30 years ago appears to be significantly reducing. And I can't quite get my head around why. You know, maybe because of the social media clips that we're uh, looking at now on a daily basis. But as I say, my gut instinct tells me that we just have this disconnect at the moment uh, between that respect issue that, as I say, was, was almost in our DNA when we were being brought up um, to where we are at the moment. That must be, if I'm right, a, a massive challenge and concern for you. It is a challenge, but I think as well, what we need, to, and we're all guilty of this, myself included, sometimes we can, we can put on some rose-tinted spectacles around it. Sure. I think, you know, when you were younger, there was all that respect. Um, I fully remember 30 years ago, the areas that I worked, that, that, that respect wasn't universal. I remember plenty of police cars getting smashed up. I remember one individual who taught his, his, his three-year-old son every time he saw the police officer to shout bastard at him. Um, so there's always been that level of disrespect from certain sections of the community. Uh, and you can go back to the 1880s and 1890s for that with some of the gangs that used to be in the city then. Uh, police officers then were beaten up far more than they are now. There's far more serious assaults on the police then than there is now. Uh, and it was a similar situation uh, in the 80s and, and early 90s as well. Um, has there been, is there less respect for policing? I suppose overall in society, the things have changed quite a bit and teachers, police officers, doctors, nurses, um, do seem to be at, at the rough end of it quite often. Um, but I think it's always been there. I think we find out about it more now through social media, everything's videoed, everything becomes a, a massive issue. I mean, if I, if I go back 30 years ago, a fight in a pub on a Friday night was commonplace. Mm. It'd never get in the front page of the paper because someone's got a video of it, it looks yeah. good to the paper. Yeah. Uh, it just happened all the time. Mm. Assaults in the streets happened all the time. Stabbings happened all the time. Uh, now, because it's filmed, everything seems so much worse. And 
that's the downside of social media. It can give people the wrong impression of, of society and make people more fearful around society. I don't see it as being a much rougher place than it was in the 80s. If anything, it's a safer place than it was in the 80s. Uh, there's no part of Merseyside that I wouldn't walk in a full uniform on my own around the streets and often do. I was Lodge Lane, Toxteth last week. In the early 80s, blimey, I would have needed about 16 people around me to do that. Uh, so a lot has changed for the better. Um, now, different society. I don't think things are worse than they were. I just think we, we see a lot more things that mm. make us feel that they're worse than they were. Um, this is look. This is a great city. This is a great, great county, and we still have the vast majority of the public on our side. The vast majority. We couldn't police like we do otherwise. Mm. Um, and I think we can easily, easy to forget that sometimes with some of the social media and some of the media things that we see. Mm. But I'm, I'm really confident. I mean, we, we've got about an eighty percent um, satisfaction level, confidence level from the Merseyside public. When you consider we're policing in a difficult, difficult one of the most deprived areas in the country. That's pretty good. And that means the public are on our side. That gives me a degree of comfort, Andy, as you say, probably uh, looking too much on Twitter and these other social media channels give me a false impression. But and I'm they, not drinking from this cup just to wind it up. You then. are, but I was, I was, we'll come to that later. Um, ju just, um, just before we move into where we are now uh, and some of the absolutely current and present challenges that that you guys are facing I, I just wanted to ask you to reflect again on that vast experience that you've had in the force uh, whether there was any particular case or any particular issue that you've dealt with which has given you pride in terms of the job that you've done and the colleagues around you have done because there must have been many things that you've been involved in over those three decades where you look back now and you think wow we really made a difference there yeah, I mean, uh, there, there are many, Frank. I mean, I'll pick out a couple. Uh, one was introduced in Matrix. Uh, not everyone's favourite uh, policing unit because of the very front-foot approach that they made. But, I mean, I built that from nothing, basically, into, into what has become a European-wide uh, respected unit and approach of how to deal with organised crime. I think the pinnacle of that, and when I knew it really made a difference with it, was when the top-ranked uh, hashtag across social media uh, was FTM, which was F the, F the Matrix. And that was the number one hashtag across Merseyside for a while. Uh, and you know you then you're impacting on the people you want to be impacting on. Um, so bringing that together uh, with some really great successes over the years, both from a, a uniform side and from a covert policing side as well, was one of them. I've had numerous uh, Murders have investigated as the senior investigating officer, which I've been really proud of. One that always springs to mind is one that took seven years to, to, to detect, which was the murder of a man called Philip Lee on Otterspool Promenade. Uh, it was a robbery where he was stabbed. Um, it took us seven years to catch the individual, but I was determined not to let it go because of the impact that it had on the family. Uh, and that individual was sentenced to life imprisonment uh, when we eventually got, got them. Really difficult investigation. There's plenty of those across the board, really. But I think the times you remember are when the forces pulled together through some really difficult times. I mean, and there's been plenty of those over the years. The way the forces pulled together during this COVID uh, situation, I've been so proud of the way my staff have dealt with it because this is a different style of policing for them. It's been a really different approach to what they've had to do. 
Um, the government, of, the go not the government, politicians, particularly in the some sections of the media, have made great play about mistakes that were made by policing. No one's ever faced this before. Despite that, people have been kept safe to, to a great extent, and my staff continue to go out with very little protection, still doing the job they were doing, still keeping business as usual going and protecting people. In addition to that, trying to keep people doing the right things throughout. And they've done it in the right way, which is the Merseyside way, which is talking to people. We're really proud of our, our approach, which is all about just talk, just think, just lead, just listen. And it's a simple sort of code of ethics for Merseyside Police. Having that community interaction, Jordan, is important. Educating the public is important. Making sure you're part of your community is important. The force vision is to put the community first. And we've done that over the last four years. We've done that to a great extent in ensuring that what we do doesn't make the force look good, but everything is points toward what is the right thing for the community. That's why in this force you see far more discretion used by officers. The, what's drummed into our officers is do the right thing. Just do the right thing. Even if it's not the right thing for the force, do the right thing for the community, for that individual. Mm. Really important in moving us forward. And that trust, trying to embed trust right through a police force can be very difficult. Getting that my frontline officers to trust me in what I'm doing. That, that has brought the force on leaps and bounds over the years. So rather than pick out operational issues, the way the whole force has worked together is that one team through some really difficult times and in that trusting way and in that HMIC, Majesty's Inspector, what we say when they come to Merseyside, it's different because they never see anywhere that works together so cohesively where the support's there from federated ranks right through to chief officers and it is very much that one team approach and that's something that the staff are very proud of. Over the last 10 years, with all the cuts, that's been harder and harder to do. But despite that, they've done it. And they do a magnificent job in keeping us safe. And I'm ever so proud of them. What I want to do when I leave policing is not leave a legacy. Legacies, are, for me, that, that, that's about ego. What I want to do is be able to walk away and be safe in my house in South Liverpool, knowing that the police force are there and they're the best police force in the country. That's all that matters to me. And if we bring ourselves right up to date Andy in terms of those challenges that you've briefly touched on there and the COVID situation that we find ourselves a um, couple of things that spring to mind here as well in terms of what's probably changed over the past decade or so I suppose certainly during your time as leadership the leadership role that you've got it is that collaboration that we now need across agencies um, so, you know, you've, you've mentioned the fact that you've got relationships with politicians. You have to have, because you've got to have that collaboration, haven't you, with the local government agencies that are in town. You've got to have collaboration now with the NHS and to know exactly where the hotspots are, what issues they're facing. Uh, and that collaborative approach, I suppose, if you're practising that on a day-to-day -day basis, makes it easier then for you to go into partnership with those external forces as well it does i mean and, and that collaboration is really important whether it's political whether it's with third sector whether it's with private industry it's essential moving forward i mean that sharing of information is really important that having the same vision for what you want to achieve is really important and i think that that's far better now than it used to be we still have our difficulties i mean politics is always going to be a difficult business you're always going to have egos involved in that you're always going to have some difficulties in getting everyone pointing in the right direction. But genuinely, on, in Liverpool, we have a really good collaborative approach across all agencies. 
we have good open discussions. We have the ability to criticise each other if we need to. Uh, everyone has an opinion on policing. I'm used to that, politicians particularly. Um, but we'll deal with that. I mean, at the end of the day, everyone can have an opinion as I do things for policing. The responsibility is mine. I make the decisions. I don't have any political influence over what I do, nor should I have, and nor will I ever have. Um, where we need to work harder as a police service is greater collaboration with private industry. Mm. Um, not just on contracts basis, but actually working together to keep communities safer. I think you look at some countries around the world, uh, I always think of Germany when I talk about it, uh, private industry plays a far bigger role in, in that sort of community safety approach. Uh, and I think over the next 12, 18 months, one of my pushes is going to be to try and get more and more of our private industry, local private industry, more involved in the whole community, community safety aspect of it. Whether that is rehabilitation of ex-offenders and giving employment to ex-offenders, we've seen how great way that Timpsons and people like that do. Mm. Together with, with Tony Reeves from the council and, and, and the governor of Liverpool Prism are currently working on an approach to make it easier for ex-offenders to rehabilitate. Some might think that's a strange thing for, for the chief constable to do, but for me it's not. It's about reducing my demand in the future. Increase the opportunity for individuals like that who maybe don't have a chance, maybe don't have a home to go to, maybe will end up going into the same sort of things they did previously is really important. But you need private industry on board for that to actually give some of these people a chance. And not everyone who goes to prison is a bad person. Some people make mistakes. Some people deserve a second chance. Uh, and I think that's what we should be doing across Merseyside, private and public together, uh, just to make sure that we're building a better future moving forward. Well, anything that we can do to help with that particular part of uh, development partnerships, Andy, you know where we are, we'd be delighted to get involved in that. Um, so bang up to date then. Um, so COVID, that was a yep. challenge. Uh, and then we have uh, the Black Lives Matter um, initiative starts to gather momentum across the country. And of course, that brings crowds of people together when there's this issue of social distancing. And you had that in Liverpool as well as it happened in Manchester and London and elsewhere. Uh, and then, of course, um, the added complication that I'm sure you weren't that sad to see, but some of us uh, could have done without it. Uh, was the, the the Liverpool Premiership win, uh, which was inevitable uh, once football came back into being. Um, but I suppose what wasn't inevitable necessarily was some of the scenes that we sadly saw around the pier head. Um, so those have been some big challenges for you in recent weeks, mate, haven't they? Yeah, massive challenges. I mean, linking COVID in, if it wasn't, if COVID wasn't around, even there would be challenges without yeah. that. Uh, I think the first thing to, to say is that uh, the Black Lives Matters marches that we've had here uh, have been really well behaved, really well stewarded, uh, really good interaction with the organisers. And I think you can see a community across Merseyside where you've got that really good relationship in our communities from policing, from other agencies that allow us to do that. It's not been the same all over the country as we've all seen. Uh, but those relationships are there. Don't get me wrong, we still have our, our rubs occasionally in relation to certain issues, but even to a social distance and extent, most people there would sign a socially distance. Peerhead, really difficult situation. 2,000 people build up within an hour and then far more than that. 
really difficult situation for policing to deal with. Uh, utterly condemned by myself. I'm a big Liverpool fan, as you, as you know, Frank, and I make no secrets of that fact. Really difficult situation for all. Uh, some people want us to go in hard and, and clear the crowd. Some people, uh, and you know, if we did that, the amount of criticism we would have got the following day would have been massive. The simple reality is the location where that was with the water on one side, the fact there were families and young children there meant that we couldn't do uh, any sort of uh, robust policing measures initially. We did go into the crowd and arrest certain people during it, um, and quite rightly too. We've done an awful lot together with the clubs and the council and everyone else to try and get people not to come and congregate. And this saddened me to see the fact that people were prepared to do this um, it's one of those situations for police where you'll never win uh, no one will agree with what you've done as I said before everyone knows how to police better than I do everyone's entitled to their, their opinion but at the end of the day responsibility rests with me and I fully support the actions of the staff on that day you did a fantastic job what happened later on in the city centre uh, where there was running battles for a couple of hours with, with, with young men there, I'm sure most people have seen the videos of that. It was an absolute disgrace. 15 people arrested for violent disorder on the night. Uh, there'll be a numerous pictures coming out over the next few days of other people who will be arrested and dealt with as part of that. I hope they all end up in custody as we discussed uh, previously, but we won't accept that. It's not acceptable in relation to assaults on my staff. It's not acceptable in a city such as ours because that's damaged the reputation of the city once again. It's yeah. damaged the reputation of a poor football club. Um, and to be fair, I'm sure the majority of those people who were there on, in the pier head, I know that for a fact, uh, and a lot of the people who were involved in that damage weren't all Liverpool fans. Uh, the real Liverpool fans were those who haven't turned up outside the grounds on match days, uh, who've done what we've asked them to do. And it's been, and same as Everton fans as well at the derby. We had no problems whatsoever in relation to that. It's always your idiots who cause the problem. Mm. Sadly, there was an awful lot of idiots out at the pierhead on that night. Mm. Um, but they were irresponsible idiots. The criminal idiots were the ones who later on were fighting with police, were trying to damage vans, were trying to steal from vans, etc., etc. Uh, and there's a big difference between the two. Uh, so the way that was dealt with, I will, people will never be happy with it. Some will think it wasn't tough enough. Some will think that... Uh, We've dealt with that differently from we deal with other issues. Simply not the case. A lot of responsibility on the shoulders of that operational commander on the night, fully supported by myself. He was speaking to me throughout the evening uh, and I was fully happy with the way it was dealt with. Um, but as I say, people never be happy. And in terms of the, the overall approach over the last, what's well, over a hundred days now, Andy, since we went into lockdown. Um, I, again, you know, my impression is um, that things have gone as smoothly as they possibly can in this part of the world. We haven't seen any big dramas. Uh, yeah. We've had uh, an over-aggressive uh, approach to this from, from the police, and people seem to be getting on with lives as best they can. My instruction to the staff from the start was, look, when this, when this lockdown finishes, we'll still be policing the same people. Yeah. So let's use our discretion, let's use our common sense, let's advise people rather than just slapping tickets on people willy-nilly. Let's make sure people understand the dangers they're facing. Let's look after the most vulnerable in our society. Um, and, the, you know, the vast, vast majority of people have done just that. It's only a small number who ignored, a small number who were attending raves, small, 
relatively small numbers attending the pier head, uh, relatively small numbers who are having house parties. The vast majority of people have done the right thing. And we've had great support throughout it. And I think we've taken exactly the right approach. But even then, some people will say we're not being strong enough on people. <laughs> uh, it's not about that. It's about working with the community. We are part of the Merseyside community. We don't sit outside it. We don't sit above it. Policing is part of the Merseyside community. Everyone has a role in keeping that community safe. And our guidance to them during that, our advice, I think, is the, absolutely the right way to deal with this situation. Should we go into a tighter lockdown like we've seen in Leicester? I don't intend to change the approach at all in relation to it. I don't think we're going to get them touching words to say it into that situation. Uh, but it will give us some real challenges around it. Uh, but no, I'm happy with the way we've approached it. Vast majority of people support the way we've approached it. Um, and I know my staff, uh, also, I'll, give you, so I'll give you an example, Frank. Our sickness rate at the moment is 3.2%. Of the, of the force that shows a force that is working together to keep people safe because your nhs your home office your government departments they would love to have that small level of sickness that we've got that's when the whole team has come together to keep people safe really low sickness levels really good team approach lowest crime um, numbers we've seen for years during this lockdown highest detection rates we've seen for years during the lockdown Business as usual has continued despite the dangers my staff are doing because my staff still go into other houses. They don't know if there's COVID in there in addition to the additional issues that we've seen around assaults and everything else. And they've done it professionally throughout. So I'm really proud of the way they've dealt with it so far. Uh, I think the community should be proud of the way they've dealt with it. Um, we don't always get that praise. We don't always deserve the praise. We get things wrong sometimes. But through this, I think the staff are being fantastic. Uh, Andy, we had a few questions in, uh, both emails and, and one on the chat as well from Paul Taylor, and I'll start with that. He's asking, how would you describe your leadership style and who or what do you base it on? If you say Jürgen Klopp, I'm going to end the call now. <laughs> um, my leadership style. Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult one for me to put words. I mean, I think what's really important in leadership for me is consistency credibility, uh, being collaborative in, in the approach. I mean, it depends who you ask. If you ask me, I'm a great leader. If you ask, if you ask some of my staff, I'm sure they say something different, you know. Um, but leadership, it's, it's about getting people, taking people with you. It's about bringing people along on the way. I can be quite, I'm seen as quite a, a stickler. Uh, the standards of this, of this force are really high. They're higher than any other force in the country, genuinely. Uh, we don't allow big bushy beards. We don't allow tattoos on show. We still wear white shirts and black ties. We've won only two forces that still do. Because that first impression is really important for me, about the first impression that our staff make. And we're renowned for it across the country. Whenever people see a Merseyside police van turn up with their mutual aid, you know they're getting professionalism. And that's constantly fed back in into the staff when they go, when they go into different forces. Uh, so that... Maintain, maintenance of standards is really important. We're not the military, but we're a disciplined organisation, so we need to maintain that discipline. So taking people with you, being credible, being consistent in your decision making, having that public service ethos for me is really important. So I'm not here to make money. I'm not here to make policing look good. I'm here to look after the community. And I think the officers who have that sort of ethos are the best police officers, because this is about being part of your community, working for your community and keeping your community safe. 
and I don't think there's a better career in relation to any career across across the world than doing that, than knowing you're making a difference for your community. That vocational side's always been very important for me, knowing this is what I've always wanted to do and I've always enjoyed doing it. And that's what maintains my enthusiasm, really. But I think on an organisational basis, I, I, I live by some very simple maxims. And, and one is, is for me, South Police Division of, of Community First. Internally, it's one team. Mm. Uh, one of the things I always do, and I think I don't read many management books, I never have done really. Uh, but the one that really impacted on me, and, and is politics and everything, and everything else that goes with them, didn't impact on me. But Jack Welsh, uh, is maximum of keep it simple uh, is what I've always tried to do. So we our strategy for Merseyside Police is one page. There's no explanatory notes that goes with it. That is the strategy for Merseyside Police moving forward. Because not only do I need to understand it, but everyone who works for the organisation needs to understand what we're trying to achieve. And a cutting back on that complexity for all our staff is really important. So I'll deal with the complex issues. My senior officers deal with the complex issues. Keep it as simple as possible for the individuals who work for the organisation. So they know what's expected from them on a daily basis. Trust as well. Trust in an organisation is essential, particularly an organisation like this. Because I ask people to take risks every day. I ask people to make decisions in a split second that, that can be career-threatening for them. Uh, they need to have the trust that I will look after their back that I will do all I can. If they've done the right thing, even if it's turned out wrong, if they've done the right thing, I have their back. I'm making public shows of that with the staff, which I often do in relation to interceding with CPS, interceding with independent police complaints and others, is really important for them to see. And as a result, I get more out of the staff. Mm. The staff are prepared to go the extra mile for myself and my chief officer colleagues because that trust is there. They know they're working together for the same aim. So simplicity in what we do, keeping it simple is really important. Getting rid of a lot of the clutter that goes with it. Telling them policies are only there for advice. Uh, policy, if you try and police by policy, you, you get yourselves in a mess because discretion goes out the window. So every single policy that Merseyside Police has has arrived at the top that says, this is for advice only. If you've got a better way of dealing with this, then do it. Justify it, but do it. Uh, and that goes a long way to ensuring our staff use the common sense that they were born with, as opposed to just dealing with a rule book all the time. And that makes a difference for our communities. So in a rather... Uh, jumbled way. I, I suppose that's that's the philosophy around policing and the old leadership philosophy. Thanks, Andy. Uh, question here from uh, Carolyn Hughes. Uh, Carolyn's saying, as Chief Constable of the Force in which you were born and raised, what do you acknowledge as your biggest professional achievement? I think I pinched, stole a thunder on that. I apologise. Uh, but this is interesting. Uh, and if you could give yourself one piece of advice at your police passing out parade, what would it be? Oh, I think the best bit of advice I've ever had, and I had it before in the past now parade, was off my dad who said, life's not fair, son, get used to it. Uh, and that's been a great maxim for me moving through. Because uh, he's right. Some of the things you see as a police officer, you wish you'd never seen. Some of the things you hear, you wish you'd never heard. Uh, some of the knockbacks you have in any organisation, when you think someone, you're best than someone else who's getting promoted or someone else is getting something, if you can get over that quickly, move on from it, show that resilience to move forward. Um, I think that's the best piece of advice I could have been given by me. Dad is very supportive of me. Uh, is absolutely unbelievably proud of what I've achieved. Um, and is a good red too. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, as an Evertonian, I couldn't agree more with that particular adage, I have to say. Um, so, so, question from Helen, Helen Bamford. Has the pandemic given Merseyside Police the opportunity to do more proactive policing uh, and reduce backlogs in complex cases? Uh, and if so, how do you think this could move, uh, sorry, could work moving forward when the force will be back to, in inverted commas, normal? And she's added a quick rider here, which does, I think, um, take on board where we're potentially going economically. If you're making any particular arrangements for what might be a big rise in unemployment over the summer. Okay, let's deal with the first part first then. Yes, uh, we've, had, we've had the opportunity to be far more proactive over the last three months uh, because as well as dealing with the COVID issues, we've seen a big drop in demand because most people were stuck in houses for substantial periods of time. The nighttime economy wasn't a problem, and that sucks in an awful lot of resource um, from policing. So, yes, we've had some fantastic results as a result of that proactivity over the last few months. We've also managed to reduce a lot of the backlogs we had, so detectives could be carrying up to 30-odd crimes at a time, which is far too many. Uh, those, backlog, those, those backlogs have come down, so they've now got manageable crime loads which means more people are being dealt with for, for criminal offences throughout the county. Um, we set up a recovery cell from near enough to start of this to learn organisationally from things that we were bringing in uh, and what we could, we, that we could take forward through the future. Uh, agile working, we were never a great advocate of agile working before this. Now we've seen the benefits of agile working. So people working from home, people hot desking in certain places, we're seeing the same productivity. Uh, where people aren't travelling to work so much, so that gives them the opportunity to to work in a different environment. We provide an awful lot of laptops and other other technical equipment that enable them to do that. Uh, so we'll be continuing that. We brought down the number of warrants. Uh, by warrants, I mean people who need to be arrested on warrants over the last uh, three months, uh, and everything has been brought down to an extent where things are manageable, and it does show you the difference between what people can achieve when they haven't got. 300 things to do and mm. only a smaller number of things to focus on and we're seeing some really real increase in quality as well as reducing uh, that demand over the time uh, so that recovery cell is looking right through all our different processes and has been for the last three months uh, and there are a number of things that we will keep as an organization on the back of covid so whilst there's been a dreadful time there is some good things for policing to come out of it mm. in relation to unemployment and increase in unemployment yeah as I said before, reducing poverty and increasing opportunity is, is the best policing plan in the world. We will have an increase in particularly lower level crime as a result of unemployment. So increase in shoplifting and similar issues. Uh, there may be more uh, public order issues if unemployment rises to a certain extent where it brings with it unrest uh, in local communities. I hope we don't reach that, that circumstance. Um, so it'll be, it will become more challenging. And I can see crime rising to pre-COVID levels uh, with an un unemployment rise. We always see that. The greater the unemployment, the more the crime rises. And you can understand that. People need opportunity in communities. So it's a real issue right across local government and national government to address those issues as soon as possible. It will be an exceptionally busy time for us, undoubtedly. Andy, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you for the past hour. I really appreciate that you've taken time out of your schedule to, to talk with us. 
Uh, and, you know, we had this originally planned as a live event and we do want to get you to a downtown event in the flesh sooner rather than later. And let's pick up on that idea of greater partnership working with the wider Great. business community. As I say, we'd love to get involved in that. So, Andy, thanks for joining us today and I'll hopefully see you very soon. Thanks very much, Frank. And thanks to everyone for listening. Lovely. Cheers, Andy. Cheers, Bye-bye. Cheers, mate. Bye.